It's Thursday, April 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me today from Florida, Mr. Dan Klein. Dan, how are you holding uh, up? Hey there, Chris. I'm uh, going to get a little cabin fever, but uh, glad to be getting to work so much, which is obviously something not everyone can say. Absolutely. And we're going to start there. Um, we're also going to talk about what is happening with Luck and Coffee as uh, well as the latest from various forms of entertainment. But let's start with the unemployment numbers. Um, and for anyone who is blown away by the increase we saw last week, um, you get to be blown away again because 6.6 .6 million people filed. And so we're at 10 million in just two weeks, Dan. This is, I, look, I didn't expect it to go down from the 3.3 million. I, I got to be honest, though, I, I didn't expect it to double from last week. So I did expect it because with the uh, $2 trillion bailout being passed, there are provisions for expanded unemployment for up to four months. So a lot of companies that want to come out the other side of this that are closed, uh, you know, Ross Stores, TJX, uh, a much more threatened company, JCPenney, have furloughed their workers rather than using their cash reserves to pay them off and keep them employed for a week or two because they want to be in a position, whether it's two months or three months or whenever, to go back to work. And I think higher-end retailers like Macy's might struggle in the first days because obviously you're not spending a lot of money if you haven't been working, uh, even if you were collecting. But I do think sort of your lower-end retailers, your discount retailers, they're going to bounce back pretty quickly. So these are unemployment claims, but they're not necessarily people who are losing their job. These are people who are furloughed and being sent home that will probably have a job to go back to. I hope everything you just said is right. I mean, it all seems to make sense. And I think the, the reaction we saw from the market this morning in part was um, fueled by this report, and, and it was not a horrifically negative reaction. Here's the thing. This is going to be lumpy. Are some retailers going to go out of business? I mean, yeah, you heard me mention JCPenney. I thought they were going to go out of business before this. I, nothing has changed my mind on that. On the other hand, some of these companies that have had a boom that are hiring, some of them are going to keep these workers. It would not surprise me if Amazon held on to the workers it's adding, 100,000. Uh, Home Depot, Lowe's, places that are adding employees, they'll be heading into their, their season where they're busy anyway, where they already would have needed workers. So as much as there are 10 million new unemployed, there's also, I don't know the exact number, but around a million, over a million new jobs being added. Uh, and you know, this is a wait and see. If we come out of this in a couple months, that's very different than if this takes an extended time period. Let's move on to the stock of the day. And Luck and Coffee is the stock of the day because shares are down more than 70%. Not 17, 17, no, 70, 70. Because Luckin disclosed that an internal investigation discovered that the chief operating officer was making up sales numbers. There's no other way to put it. Fabricating sales to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars last year. And this backs up the report that Muddy Waters Research, uh, which came out with a short report on Luck & Coffee, uh, they came out in late January and said, we've got some information sent to us. We don't know who it's from, but it appears to be credible. And if this information is correct, then Luckin Coffee is inflating by 
70%, 80% the amount of sales that they're doing. And now Luckin has come out and basically said, yeah, turns out the chief operating officer was doing it. Yeah. And the problem is, uh, in February, when Luckin responded to that report, they came out and said, uh, it's a short seller. It's someone who's completely making it up. They were really vehement in their denial. And what they probably should have said is, we believe this isn't true. We are doing an investigation. And obviously, their share would have fallen, but it would have been a better handling of this. And ideally, they would have found nothing is wrong, and then they could report that, and the share would go back up. But if you own shares in Luckin, one of the things I suggest you do, and this is not a Motley Fool recommendation, people who, who own the stock, if it's recommended by us, uh, they will be getting email from the various services. But you need to wait until the whole picture comes out. Because if you believed in the fundamentals of this company, and what you're finding out is they're farther down the road than they originally you originally thought they were, you might still see a path for them to get there. I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm saying right now, this is the company saying, this is what we think the issue is. They've appointed a special committee to look into it. They're using independent auditors uh, to, to go back and check this out. And this could be worse. It could be better. Uh, it could just show that there's more, to, more work to do here. And this was always a long-term stock. This right now is a company selling $20 bills for $19. I've used that analogy a lot to build market share, to build volume. They're giving away coffee to compete with Starbucks. That was always going to be a difficult play. So wait until you have all the info, especially when you've already lost so much of your value. And certainly, don't buy. This is you know reaching your hand in blindly to the cabinet and eating whatever you pull out. Do not do that. Yes, this is absolutely a stock that's been recommended in, I think, a couple of services that The Motley Fool has. And I don't own shares of it uh, because, as I've said before, uh, uh, investing in coffee is already represented in my portfolio. I, I own, <laughs> my, my, mine too. I'm a Starbucks shareholder. Yeah, I'm a, uh, I, I own a lot of Starbucks. So I think, however, if I did own shares of Luck and Coffee, uh, I would want to see, as you said, I would want to see what other information comes out. This is one of those situations, and, and just to reiterate, you're absolutely right that the thesis of luck and coffee could still could still hold. But I would absolutely want to see the leader of this company come out, uh, and I would want to see some anger. I, I like I would if the CEO had no idea that the chief operating officer was cooking the books here, then. I would want to see someone come out and vehemently uh, defend the thesis for this business in the same way that, and th this is not an apples to apples comparison, but in the same way that when Chipotle first had their um, health problems, uh, when people were getting sick, and uh, it happened in a couple of different places, including one in Boston, um, in hindsight, it should have been a sell sign for me as a shareholder that when Stephen Ells, then the CEO of the company, came out and did the round of television interviews, not just on CNBC, but on the Today Show, you know, sort of the bigger, more general market television, that his attitude was not what I wanted to see. He was not, he was not saying this, he was not pounding the table saying, this is what we're going to do to make this better. We're, you know, um, he was almost, he wasn't blase about it, but he was so much more controlled than I wanted to see. I, I'm not saying that I want to see 
my CEOs of the companies that I own unhinged all the time, but every once in a while, I feel like it's warranted. He was arrogant, uh, and that's part of why Chipotle got punished. If you hold yourself up as better than other people, and it turns out you're not, you're going to fall farther. And the reality is, what Chipotle actually did in response to that crisis was the right thing. They closed all their stores for training. They they hired uh, advisors that were some of the top people in the world. They changed procedures on how they do certain things. But their public-facing response punished them for over a year in terms of people sort of associating them uh, with sort of uh, food poisoning, even though if you serve fresh food, there will be food poisoning no matter what you do. Things can go wrong. Uh, workers can come to work sick and not know the extent that they're sick. Things will happen. Uh, but this is a company that got punished because they told us they were better than other food companies, and then they were proven in some ways not to be. So I think we're in agreement that this is a obviously when to sell a stock is an individual decision, but uh, I think you and I are in agreement that there's probably more to come from this story. Yeah, I, look, they have to tell us who else was involved. Was it just one guy? How did he get away with it? Were there bonuses paid based on this information that have to get clawed back? I mean, ultimately, the CEO maybe has to lose his job. Uh, over this. I actually don't know who the CEO is, so I assume it's a his, but maybe I'm wrong there. This is not a company I particularly believed in. It's a, it, not so much because it's not a good business model, but do you really want to be a brand new brand going up against Starbucks? That's a pretty big hill to climb. D Duncan has struggled a bit in the US where they were the established brand for a long time, at least in the, the parts of the world we're from. So th this to me, I, I was not a huge fan. I know a lot of fools were. Um, but if you own it, you probably believed in their thesis. So sit down and look at that once we get the full information. You don't really have that much more money to lose, not to be blasé or, or humorous about it, but when a stock falls 80% and there might be upside, you should probably wait for all the information. Uh, last thing before we move on, I was thinking um, about... Um, do you remember the Volkswagen emissions scandal when that whole thing came out, when, when Volkswagen was uh, basically fixing their tests so that they would pass emission standards? I do, and it, it, uh, it hurt them pretty badly for a while. It did. So, I, um, a friend of mine at the time was an executive for another automotive company, and I was talking with her and I said, hey, is this one of those situations where even though it wasn't your company that did this? Every automaker gets dinged because I feel like every time there's a big recall or a big scandal involving safety with the automotive industry, that every automaker gets tagged with it. And she said, Yeah, basically, we hate it. Like, obviously, it's worse if it's us, but we hate to see it because it just causes more problems for us. And I feel like what's happened with Luck and Coffee, this is the analogy is that with Luck and Coffee, it's this is a Chinese company, and a question we get all the time about Chinese companies, regardless of what business they're in, is, can I really trust the numbers? They don't have the same regulatory requirements that we have in the United States. I'm interested in this business, but can I really trust the numbers? And in the case of Luckin, turns out, no, we couldn't trust the numbers. And I feel like every other Chinese company is going to get slightly dinged, or anytime anyone pitches a stock where the company's based in China, 
the natural question is going to be, well, is this another luck and coffee situation? And there's only one way to counteract that, because I saw this question a hundred times today during, during the, li- the full live, uh, live stream, is they need to tighten standards or there's going to be, it's going to be harder to get investments from Americans. Uh, there's going to be skepticism and it doesn't really matter. Companies can use independent auditors to check their reports. They can use, you know, U.S. firms that are, that are trusted. These kind of thing can happen, especially when you tie compensation to, to sales figures. The fact that it was happening at the COO level uh, suggests that there's more to it. And you know, this could be like the Wells Fargo scandal, where it, where it turns out that it goes much, much deeper. And I will uh, point out that I actually opened a bank account at Wells Fargo after that scandal on the assumption that, well, they can't do anything worse. Like They're going to be under a lot of scrutiny right now. So you know, not, not an argument to buy stock in Luck and Coffee, but if you happen to be in China, maybe an argument to buy a cup of coffee from them. Let's move on to Carnival Cruise Lines, uh, which has raised more than $6 billion in new debt. Um, Do you like this move? Well, they needed to do it. So Carnival uh, did not have as deep a credit facility as as Royal Caribbean, which will also need to raise money. And they have about a billion dollars a month in costs to keep their fleet ready to go. So they basically have a bunch of cruise ships that can't cruise anywhere. They don't know when they're going to be able to cruise anywhere. They've actually canceled all the sailings from San Francisco for the rest of the year. That was going to be a new port for them. So they're just not even putting that investment in. They have a couple of ships that they had to push back dates till well into the fall because those ships are being retrofitted in in dry dock. So this is a company that if they want to come back, what they had to do was they issued a bond with a 12.5% yield, uh, which earlier this year they'd raised money at a 1% yield. So they are paying dearly for this, but this is a very profitable company when it's running under normal operations. Uh, hopefully, they don't need to use all this money. They can use some of this money to pay back this money. Uh, and when they get back to normal, this ensures their survival. And I, you know, I was saying, well, three to five years, this is a great investment. Now, maybe it's 10 years, but I do still believe in Carnival uh, Royal Caribbean. I don't own shares in either. I will say I am an avid user of their products and believe that it's going to appeal to sort of my generation, mid-40s, as they get a little bit older, and that there's an awful lot of us, so this will be a growth industry. But do you think the profitability of the cruise industry, do you think the profit margins come down? Because oh, I- I- you know, Absolutely. They, they, they have to hire more people. They have to assure everyone, even avid fans like yourself, that it's going to be safer than ever to get on a cruise ship. So I'll argue that they've taken those steps already. Uh, when you go on a cruise ship, it is very obvious how much it's being cleaned. Uh, every time you walk into the buffet, there's a man with a guitar singing a song telling you to wash your hands. There's a lot of peer pressure, and I've told this story on air before, but if you're in the bathroom and you're in the handicap stall that has a sink and you wash your hands and you come out, people will glare at you because they think you didn't wash your hands. So there is a, a huge amount of pressure. I don't think they're going to have a big added expense uh, I do think they're going to have much lower pricing. I know that I've booked some cruise, cruises through the fall, uh, and I generally get, get casino comps, and I'm getting 
balconies and free play and basically whatever I want, as opposed to normally only getting inside rooms on short sailings. And when I've looked at prices to bring some people along, those prices are very, very depressed. So the first goal of the cruise industry is to get people on cruise ships and show them that it's safe. And if you look at the numbers pre-coronavirus of times something has happened, they are a very safe industry, and it's just very visible when something goes wrong. You know, we don't not fly because there have been a plane crash or two. There have really only been a handful of mass outbreaks on cruise ships. It's something that they're very hyper-conscious of. But keeping in mind that at the beginning of the year, shares of Carnival Cruise were at 50, then they got cut down to 20, and we got a lot of questions from people saying, gosh, 50 to 20, is this a buying opportunity? It's now at $8 a share. So, yeah. to, so just to reiterate, you think they bounce back, but from an investor standpoint, you're pushing out the timeline from three to five years to more like five to 10. Yeah, if you want to see those heights again. Uh, if, if you're buying at eight and think it might get to 10 in the next three years, I don't think that's crazy. But obviously, there's a lot of debt to service, which even when they go back into business, they will be taking in less money. There are expenses they can put off. I don't think you're going to see uh, ship construction at the level you have. I don't think you're going to see new ports. Uh, you can slow down uh, spending on redeveloping your private island, things like that. Some of that is going to step back. But I do think once they report you know, a profitable quarter or two, which might be a year out, I think you'll see some bounce. Um, you know, this is, is going to take a long time. This isn't Walt Disney World, where I think people are going to come back pretty quickly. There is some fear with this. There is also a loyal customer base, but that customer base tends to pay the least. Uh, it's the, the person in New York who cruises once a year who pays the highest price, not the guy in Florida who lives an hour from the port. Shares of AMC Entertainment are down more than 12% today. AMC Entertainment is the largest movie theater chain in the world. And the stock is down on the news that uh, AMC has hired lawyers to look into restructuring. And I'm wondering, Dan, how bad do you think this is going to get? Because one of the things we've seen over the past month is more and more movie studios push summer blockbusters, or what they hope will be summer blockbusters, action movies, uh, further into the calendar in 2020. And in some cases, they're pushing movies into 2021. Um, how bad is this going to get for AMC? It's bad, uh, because in my opinion, we have too many theaters anyway. It makes sense to go, and I'm a big movie go to the movies guy. But it makes sense to go see Star Wars or the Avengers or, or Fast and the Furious 23 or, or wh whatever it is in a theater. It doesn't necessarily make sense which, with all of us having 55-inch televisions in our house and streaming services to go see the latest thoughtful you know, drama. So I do think you're going to see a pretty massive change in theaters to more uh, the, the sit-down-and-eat model, uh, having three or four screens rather than a multiplex. But I do think there is a huge play here from people who own the space where theaters are housed to work with them. Because if a movie theater goes out of business at your mall, that is an awful lot of space to repurpose and do something else with. And there's not much you can do with it. So I think this is a company, much like Cheesecake Factory, because it has those ridiculous-looking restaurants that are hard to repurpose, I think they're going to be able to negotiate deferred rents, a lot of 
concessions. And the one thing you could say is whenever we move past this and movies can safely be scheduled, it's going to be a murderer's row of of releases. That's obviously going to hurt some films, but you are going to see an awful lot of stuff come out, and that might bridge the gap for the few months of production we're losing on movies for next year that aren't getting shot right now. Before we wrap up, we've—I'm assuming you, like me, like most people—has you've been watching a lot of stuff in your home. Um, what's one recommendation? It could be a movie, it could be a TV series, uh, anything. So my wife and I were talking about this last night, and we've sort of run out of things we like together. We both have a lot of things we we like on our own. (laughs) Uh, And we decided we're probably going to rewatch Six Feet Under, uh, which was one of our favorite shows on HBO. The only negative is is I've watched the finale many, many times because it's in my laptop. So sometimes if I'm traveling, it's just something I'll watch if I'm out of things to do. But I don't remember the road of how they got there. And it was one of our favorite shows at the time. So it, it, it's, it's a very deep, quirky show, but a, a lot of fun and a, a lot to, to get into. So one movie we're going to watch, my whole family is going to watch this coming weekend is um, my college student uh, has been going back and forth to Richmond, which is about 100 miles south. So one of the things we've been doing every night just to be in touch is uh, we'll FaceTime and we'll do the crossword puzzle together. And there is a f- wildly entertaining uh, documentary from 2006 called Wordplay. And Wordplay is about the New York Times crossword puzzle, sort of its origins, uh, and then the the culture of people who obsess over the New York Times crossword puzzle, um, leading to a competition that is held. There's an annual uh, competition and it's uh, it's very entertaining. It's I, I, I've seen it before, but the kids haven't. And uh, it's about it's ninety minutes. It's uh, highly recommend if you're looking for just sort of like a fun documentary. Chris, what's the title? Wordplay. Dan Klein, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. 